0: Everyone, if you have your Bibles, would you please uh, open them up? And there are two scripture readings that I'd like to read first. The first one is in the Old Testament, it's in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18. Read three verses, starting with verse 30. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 30. Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you, each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. In the New Testament, our scripture reading is taken from the book of Acts. Last week when David preached, he preached about Peter in the temple area and the crippled man that was healed, the beggar. We'll be reading verses 11, chapter 3, Acts 3, starting with verse 11, and reading through verse 26. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished. They came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why do you Does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate. Though he had decided to let him go, you disowned the holy and righteous ones. And you ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you all can see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that the Christ would suffer. Repent then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that, he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until time comes for God to restore everything. And he has promised long ago through the holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like him from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant. He sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you away from your wicked ways. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word satisfies our soul. Your word brings comfort. Your word, Lord, is truth. Your word is authoritative. It's inspired. It's inerrant. It's infallible. Your word is reliable. Your word sustains me. Oh, how we love your word. God, help us to understand more fully what you'd have us to learn this day, to live out biblical truths in our lives, and to bring honor and glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On Paul's second missionary journey, he finds himself waiting for Timothy and Silas and Antioch and Athens. This is in chapter 17 of Acts. We'll get there. He was distressed by seeing all the idols, and he reasoned in the synagogues and the marketplace each day. He was asked to speak at the Areopagus in Athens to explain more about the gospel message. The apostle Paul took advantage of the opportunity to share Christ. Paul also took notice of the objects there. even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. The Greeks worshipped many gods. They were fearful of offending them by failing to give them recognition so they felt they could cover all their bases by labeling the altar to the unknown God. Paul would use this as an opening to share the gospel. He said, Now what you worship... As something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. How often do we miss opportunities by not being sensitive to the Holy Spirit's promptings? Peter says in the first epistle, his first epistle, chapter 3, verse 15, Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have within you, and do it with gentleness and respect. Paul says in Ephesians 5.16, Make the most of every opportunity. In today's lesson, Peter and John took advantage of an opportunity that God had provided. Let's take a look at verses 11 and 12. It says, While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished. They came running to them to the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, Why does it surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? We learned from last week's sermon that a great miracle of healing took place. On the Temple Mount in Jerusalem at the beautiful gate, the people were amazed at what had happened to this crippled beggar, and they came running to where Peter and John were located at Solomon's Colonnade, which was a porch, on the inner side of the eastern wall enclosing the, the outer court. It had rows of 27-foot-high stone pillars and a roof made of cedar. During this time, it was a covered walkway where Josephus says that commerce and conversation took place. So just if you want to think about this for a second, you, so you have the temple, let's just say this is the east side. So this is the wall right here. You're going to have the court of the Gentiles that are around here. And then you have an opening that goes into the court of women. And then you would have the temple where you have the holy place and the holy of holies. There was a gate. So here's the colonnade right here. Here's sort of an open area. And here you have the beautiful gate. I mean, if you think about it, that was a perfect spot if you wanted to, you know, ask for alms right there going into that gate. The colonnade was located just opposite the beautiful gate where the miracle had taken place. Now in verse 11 you see that the man who had been crippled from birth holding on to Peter and John. The Greek word is really interesting here. It was used, it was, that is used, and it means to hold forcefully with power. I mean, he was clinging on tight. Probably very thankful he, hadn't. he said he had been crippled since birth. He's holding on tight. In fact, the word is used in Matthew 12, 11 of a person taking hold of a sheep that had fallen into a pit and lifting it out. So when you reach into a pit to grab the animal, you're grabbing on pretty tightly to lift it out. That's the idea is the crippled ba- the beggar was sticking to him like glue, probably in thankfulness. I think Peter might even have had a hard time walking away. He was clinging so hard even if he wanted to get away. Peter saw an opportunity, though, to seize the moment, an open door to preach a Christ-centered message. When addressing a group of people or an individual, it's important to know your audience. From the passage, it's evident that Peter was speaking to Jews. In verses 12, 18, 21 through 25 and 26, it mentions men of Israel, children of the prophets and of the covenant, God of our fathers and the prophets. Notice God's provincial timing. It says in Acts 3, one, we see that Peter and John were at the temple at 3 p.m. It says the ninth hour. So at dawn at 6 a.m., That would be the beginning of the day. Nine o'clock would be the third hour, so it was the ninth hour, so it was at 3 p.m. There would have been a large crowd there at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, since it was one of the stated times of Jewish prayer during the day. The others were at nine and at sunset. The beautiful gate was a favorite gate into the temple court. The perfect timing was at hand. A tremendous miracle, a large crowd, and a man named Peter who had a heart surrendered to God and was filled with the Spirit of Christ. He sees the day of that divine appointment. I pray that we all have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to obey when opportunities open up to share the gospel the gospel message. Also take note. Peter gave credit where credit was due. He says, why do you stare as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? In verse 16, Peter says, it is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given complete healing to him and you all, that you all can see. Peter wanted to make sure that the Jewish crowd knew that the very God that they claimed to follow was the same one who had healed that crippled man. We Read in verses 13 through 15 now. It says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant Jesus. You handed Him over to be killed. You disowned Him before Pilate. Though he was decided to let him go, you disowned the Holy Righteous One and asked the murderer to be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. First of all, Peter is reminding the Jews of their history. The beginnings of the Jewish people are found in Genesis twelve one through 3. When Abram, who later be called Abraham, was called by God out of Mesopotamia to a land which he did not know where he was going. That land would later be called Israel. God called him out of his homeland and made him promises. First, God would make a great people from Abraham, which came through Isaac and not Ishmael, which came through Jacob and not Esau, even today in Jewish liturgy, refers to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, from whom the Jewish people came. The second promise was the land itself. And both of these promises are spoken about in Genesis 15. The third promise was that through Abraham and his descendants, all the world would be blessed. The Bible shows us that the ultimate fulfillment for which the Jewish forefathers longly anticipated was found in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Even in Acts 3.26, remember it says, when God raised up His servant, He sent Him first to you to bless you. A few months earlier, Peter was known as the denier of Jesus. Now he was known as the declarer of Jesus. He fearlessly preached to the Jewish crowd with a stinging charge. Now comes a change in Peter's message, a shift in his sermon that catches his listeners' attention. It was pointed. It was strong. It was convicting. Peter is ratcheting it up. He says, what did you Jews do? Namely, they denied. They rejected they disgraced the Messiah, God's servant, Jesus. Notice the emphasis in the number of times you, on the part, delivered Jesus up to be crucified to Pilate and you wanted, who wanted to release him. You delivered him. You disowned him. You murdered the innocent one and freed the guilty murderer. To put, you put to death the prince of life, the author of life, you need to understand, you put to death the one who was the originator of life. I want you to notice this point. and there is a significant reason behind it. Peter preached Jesus to the Jewish crowd by using several names. Peter knew his audience well. All of these names in the servant, this sermon, have messianic references. And most of them, in one way or another, are referenced in the Old Testament. The point is that the Jews should have known. And Peter was going to give them a divine inspired reminder of the, re, of the Messiah. Verse He says, His servant Jesus, in Acts 3, 13 and 26. The Holy and Righteous One. Acts 13.30, the Prince of Life, Acts 3.15, Jesus, Acts 3.16 and 20, which means Jehovah's Savior, Lord, Acts 3.19, the prophet, Acts 3.22, your seed, which was the seed was coming, and it was Jesus, Acts 3.25, Peter didn't know the condition. Of the people's heart. This is an important point here. Peter didn't, know, Peter didn't know the condition of the people's heart, but he was ready to sow the word on ground that he hoped was broken up and ready to receive it. God wants us to be sowers of seed. We don't know the condition of people's hearts, that's God's business. But he wants us to be faithful, to sow the seed. And Peter was ready. He was hoping that it was ground that was broken up and ready to receive it. I want to highlight an example of Peter's mindset regarding the Messiah. This is an important point. Notice he talks. It says the Gentiles would have had a hard time making the connection. But the Jews would have understood Peter's argument. Notice this. He says in verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. Now, we look at that, and we might just read over that. And notice in verse 26, he says, When God raised up his servant. That's important. Notice what Jesus says about himself in Matthew 12, 18. It says this, And he quotes Isaiah 42. He says, "Here I have chosen my servant, whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I have put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out, nor will he hear, nor will no, no one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smouldering wick he will not snuff out, he will lead justice to victory." In his name, the nations will put their hope. Jesus is quoting that verse about himself. That is Isaiah 42. That is in Isaiah 52, 53, the suffering servant, the servant Messiah. Peter is saying, you should have known the Messiah. Even Jesus himself quotes that verse. It's interesting that the name of Jesus means Jehovah's salvation. The Jews were looking for a conquering hero. This is an interesting thought here. At the last Passover festival, the governor Pontius Pilate gave the Jews a choice between two prisoners to release. One was Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. The other, it says in the Bible, it says he was a murderer and an insurrectionist, probably against the Romans. Some manuscripts use Barabbas' full name, which is Jesus Barabbas. Did you know that? Whom the Jews begged to release instead of Christ. And it makes sense because Pilate asked the crowd, which one do you want me to release, Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ? They may have seen Barabbas as that conquering hero. We don't know that. But what we do know is Barabbas was the man. He was the man that deserved to be on that third cross on Calvary that day. He was the one who should have paid the penalty for his crime. He was a murderer. He was an insurrectionist. And he should have been on that cross. But thanks be to God. You know, we don't understand God's ways sometimes. (laughs) A lot of times. We try to put God in some sort of a little box and we try to figure him all out. But I'll tell you, the the greatest words ever spoken happened on that cross. And people may not have understood it at the time. And the first time I heard that word setting in Aramaic or Greek, I don't remember which one it is, but I remember it was Pastor Logue was here and said it. And then it was the word testelestai. It's finished. It's finished. The work is done. Salvation is offered. Barabbas should have been on the cross, but Jesus took his place. And guess what? Jesus took our place on that cross too. We should have been on that cross. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Jesus took our place. Jesus took our punishment. We are declared not guilty by God, when we repent of our sins and by faith we put our trust in Christ's saving grace. The great debate that was going on in Jerusalem at that time was this. What happened to the body? What happened to the body? Warren Weir'sby said, Calvary may have been man's last word, but the empty tomb was God's last word. Jesus rose from the dead and he's now in heaven. This is an important point right here. Jesus has sent his spirit who is working through the church and healed a beggar, and that was proof that Jesus was alive because it was through the power of Jesus that he was alive. Verse 16, it's, it's, <clears throat> we want to remember that a name in Scripture is not just what one is called. Notice the number of times, you know, one of the first things that when you look at Bible study or Bible interpretation, we look at observations. How many times does it say, and the name of Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which... It happens again and again. There's something about the name of Jesus. It's the power behind the name. The name of Jesus occurs 11 times in 11 verses in the book of Acts. The crippled man's healing came because of faith. It was because of Jesus. Although Jesus was not physically present, His power was available. That's an important thing to remember. Although Jesus may not be physically present right here in this moment, His Spirit is within us. And His power is available. His power is available in the sense that we have the saving grace available to us. We have his strengthening grace available to us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. His sanctifying grace is available to us. I can become more like Christ because of his spirit was in us. I like the way John Stott said it. He says, "I, uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would ripen your fruit in my life that I might become more like Christ. That I might be more loving. That I might be more joyful. And I would have peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control in my life. That, That is available to us. And not only that, his sustaining grace is available. You don't have to quit. Why? Because you have one that will walk you through this world. We must remember that it is Christ himself, not the sound of his name, who gives our prayers power. It's he himself. And now this is interesting right here. Because Peter goes from indictment. I mean, he lays an autumn hard. I mean, he just said, you just killed the author of life. You let a murderer go. But he goes from indictment to invitation indictment to invitation. Can you imagine the guilt? I mean, there might have been some Jews that were in that temple court that were standing outside when Pontius Pilate says, which one should I let go? Which one do you want free? And they were going, Barabbas. We want Barabbas. We want that murder, insurrection. We want Barabbas. Send Jesus to the cross. Crucify him. We want Barabbas. They might have been there. You never know. And now there's an invitation. So Peter laid it on him pretty hard, ratcheted it up pretty strong. But now he's saying, you can, you can find this salvation, but it's the one that went to the cross. Peter's exhortation begins here, and he starts by saying that they had acted in ignorance. Even though they did not know that Jesus was the true Messiah, they may not nevertheless, God in his generous mercy, if they would only repent, and they would turn to Him. One obstacle for the Jew was this: they believed there was a Messiah that was coming. They did. I mean, it's foretold that. What was the hard thing that they had to deal with? It was a suffering Messiah, even though it talked about that in um, in Isaiah fifty three. The Jews were expecting a Messiah, but they had a difficult time grasping the idea of a suffering Messiah. They had a hard time grappling with this understanding of the cross. They couldn't really stomach this Messiah on a cross. The Old Testament said that anyone that hung on a pole was under God's curse. That didn't make sense. How could a Messiah, God's chosen one, His righteous one, be executed like a criminal on a tree? That would be hard to grasp. Isn't it interesting, though, that the cross was a form of execution that took life that separates people, but Jesus shed blood on the cross, that led to his death, now brings spiritual life, spiritual healing, and unites us as a body of Christ. Peter cuts to their conscience. Notice in verse 19. some versions, the word that's error, the beginning word is "Therefore." And lots of times you ask that question, why is therefore, therefore? Therefore, repent. Peter moves quickly from indictment to invitation, like I said. Repent and return. Both of these words are in the aorist imperative, which conveys the idea of this. Do it now. Do this without delay. Do not procrastinate. What is repentance? Repentance. It's a change of mind that results in a change of one's entire life. It says, I see God has revealed to me what ugliness sin is. And I hate it. And I want to reject it. And I want to turn away from it. And I want to turn to the saving grace that's offered by Jesus Christ. You see... This idea of repentance and saving grace, I've heard it this way, it's like two sides of the same coin. You are turning away from something, but if you don't turn to something, then you have nothing. And if you're just turning to Jesus, but you don't realize what you've done, you don't realize the the terrible and sorrow and ugliness of sin, then you don't really fully grasp it. So there's this idea. That's why they say repent and turn. It's recognizing the depravity and ugliness of sin. Admit you're a sinner and agree with God about its vileness and disobedience to God. It involves sorrow about the harmful effects that sin causes. Not just believe the Lord, but believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Commit to follow Him. By dying to self and taking up the cross to follow him. Repentance and saving grace, like I said, are two sides of the same coin. Saving faith is a true change of mind and lifestyle. A.T. Robinson pointed out the word repent was a message that the John the Baptist, that Jesus, that Peter, that Paul all said. It's a radical change of attitude in one's life. It said, I choose not to live that way anymore. I choose to follow Christ in discipleship. Sin means missing the mark. This is really interesting right here. And we've talked about that before. But the word, it says, wiped out. Do you see that? It says, repent then and turn from God so that your sins may be wiped out. I decided to do a little word study. It's a really interesting word right here. So, it literally means wiping out. It means means like you have a blackboard and you erase it. The idea idea in all the uses is cause something to cease. Not only to cover up, but it means like literally obliterating or eliminating the evidence. In Revelation, the word is used to wipe away every tear. It's gone. The tears are gone. In the New Testament, this verb is used for blotting out or wiping away sins. In fact, in Greek... Just a simple way of using it in everyday language would be to whitewash a wall. I mean, it's gone. It's gone. David uses the word in the Septuagint in Psalm 51. I want to read that to you because I I thought that was interesting here. So when this word is used in Psalm, now remember, um, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, but it was translated into Greek in the Septuagint, and... This is how it reads. This is the word that you're seeing wiped away. You repent and your sins are wiped away. It's like as far as the east is from the west, so far our sins are removed from us. It's like our sins are in the deepest part of the ocean. And there's a sign there They God put up there that says, no fishing. Don't go there and dig them back up. But they're gone. But it says, this is what David says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. That's it. Blot them out. I don't wipe. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Right. That's the word. and there are many places in the Old Testament this, is, this word is used. Isaiah 43, 15, Psalm 32, 1 and 2, Isaiah 1, 18, Micah 7, 18 and 19. Now notice the word here too. It says, wipe out that times of refreshing come. Another interesting word here. The Greek word here for refreshing literally means to breathe again. It's like Vincent says, the word means a cooling, reviving of fresh air, drying out, relief, rest. It's like a breath of fresh air. I mean, can you imagine being weighed down in your sins and worry and doubt and anger and whatever? And And it's like, your sins are wiped out. Take a breath of fresh air. It's like a refreshment. That's what it's like. And you can imagine somebody that might have been there and yelling to Jesus, like, crucify him, crucify And all of a sudden, Peter is saying, repent, turn to God. Your sins are wiped away. There will be times of refreshing. And like, that sounds like so much relief because I'm really burdened by what I'm carrying after I hear this message. The ultimate question is, would the individual people turn to God and would the nation turn to God for the washing away of their sins? verse 20, although the cross showed man's hatred for God, it shows God's love for man. We look at that and we see the ugliness of the crucifixion. But then we also see how much God loved us by having Jesus. Jesus went to the cross and died for us. It shows how much God loves us. The verse I read in the Old Testament about Ezekiel 18, it says, Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked? declares the sovereign Lord. Rather, I am not pleased when they turn. Am I not not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Not only did Jesus make the way, he is the way. Think about that. Although Jesus, he made the way, he is the way. In verse 21, it says, God's story is written in the Bible in four major sections, if you want to look at this. It's the creation, it's the fall, it's the redemption, and it's the final restoration. Jesus is ascended into heaven, and he has sent the Holy Spirit who continues to pursue us. And he indwells believers. The Spirit brings freedom, it says in 1 Corinthians, and love in Romans 5.5. Help. The Spirit here brings help, John 15, 16, and 17. Correction, 2 Timothy 3.16. The power we need to walk with God in obedience to his word. Philippians 2, like you shared earlier, chapter 2, 12 and 13, Galatians 5, 16 through 25. The Holy Spirit wants to walk in close us to walk in close relationship and to be spirit-filled. He is here to pray for us and help us in our weakness, it says in Romans 8:26. He illuminates the Bible for us that we can know him better. He unites believers in with one another, equipping us in, to help build each other up. It says in First Corinthians 14 and Ephesians 4, We serve a God who pursues us. He longs to have a relationship with us. He loves us more than we can truly ever understand. Heaven has received Jesus, and he will return one day and restore all things. It says in verses 22 and 23, I'd like to look at now. Moses, he refers to Moses here. Moses was the first writing prophet and was revered by the Jews. So you know you see here Peter brings up Moses here. The authority of Moses among the Jews was absolute and final. Peter's objective was to show that Jesus was the Messiah. Most of the Jews thought that Joshua was the prophet predicted by Moses in Deuteronomy 18:15. Peter was going to let them know it was Jesus. Peter is saying the prophet was Jesus. Peter wanted to show them that the long-awaited Messiah had come. Peter and the apostles were calling the Jewish nation to realize what they had done to their Messiah and to repent and believe. Jesus was the prophet, was a prophet. While he himself was God, nevertheless, he submitted to his Father and spoke for God with clarity, authority, and power. Jesus repeatedly emphasized that when he spoke about God the Father. In short, when Jesus spoke as a prophet, he spoke for God, from God. And I'll give you a couple examples. In John 12:49, Jesus says, For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. In John 14, 10, he says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his work. Jesus was a prophet. He spoke out what God had asked him to say. The reject God the Father. The rejection of Jesus is final. Here's what I want you to understand like this. There's no other way than through Christ. If you reject Christ, then you've made your final choice. Jesus says, I told you, this is in John um, 8, 24. Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. In John 12, 48, he says, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words which I spoke will condemn him that last day. Notice when it says here, verse 23, anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among the people. The idea of completely cut off would have been very profound to the Jews. I mean, being cut off was more than being cut off from the, being able to go to the temple. Being cut off... Um, The message was clear to the Jews back then and to us today. Don't reject Jesus as Savior. He is the only way for salvation. The Greek word here means shall be utterly destroyed. And and there's a word, there's a little bit, there's an EK in front of the word, ek that intensifies it even more. It's like anyone who does not listen, we don't really see it that much. Maybe you do, but... When Peter is saying this to the Jews, he says, anyone who does not listen to him will be, I guess the best way to say it is the way he did, you'll be completely cut off. That's what it says. And that's what it means in the Greek. You'll be cut off. If you don't, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father except through him. You're completely cut off. Now he brings in Samuel here. Says the prophet Samuel lived during the transition period between the judges and the kings of Israel, and he was seen as the first in a succession of prophets. He anointed King David, the founding David's royal line from which the Messiah would eventually come. All the prophets pointed to this future Messiah. God promised Abraham that he would bless the world through Abraham's descendants, the Jewish race, in Genesis twelve three, from which the Messiah would come. God intended that the Jewish nation would be separate and a holy nation and would teach the world about God. Introduce the Messiah and carry on the work of the world. After the days of Solomon, the nation gave up its mission to tell the world about God. Yeah, there were prophets that came forward, but God had a different mind for them. And here, too, they had rejected the Messiah. Verse 26 says, God called the Jewish people wholly unto himself to show God's love to the world. They continually were choosing to follow other gods and not live for God. They endured many consequences for their disobedience, plagues, They were driven from the land, conquering armies that came through. Jesus was sent to the Jews first. The nation of Israel rejected their Messiah. We have a loving and forgiving God that continues to draw people into himself. He used the prophets to proclaim his word and move their people to write his word, offering rest and peace through relationship in Christ. Who is this Jesus? Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies made by Moses, David, and Abraham. Jesus is the prophet like Moses that foretold in Samuel's declarations concerning David. He is the one to bring blessing to all people as promised through Abraham. And he's the one that healed that crippled beggar. So how do we apply this to our lives? I see three things. It was Jesus and not the apostles who received the glory for healing the crippled man. The apostles did did not emphasize what they could do, but what God could do through them. You know my favorite verse in the Bible. I I love 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever whatever you do. Whatever you do, whatever you do, you do it to the glory of God. We're here to bring honor and glory to God. And so it has been very easy for John and Peter to say, Look what I did. I had a pretty miraculous thing. I mean, healing somebody that had never walked before, 40 years. Peter says, No. Nah. It's by the name of Jesus. You give credit where credit's due. Second, in those days, a person's name represented his character. By, <laughs> that's what I tell people. I said, Yeah, that's why well my name is Joseph, because you know what Joseph means? Yeah, I said, that's why I'm a math teacher, because it says he shall add. I used to be a math teacher. He shall add. But that meant he shall add another son, Benjamin. But anyways, but it, it, a person's name meant more than, it, it just, than just calling them by their name. It, Peter showed who gave him authority and power to heal. Jesus' name was not to be used like his magic must be used in faith. And when we pray in Jesus' name, we must remember that it's Christ himself, not merely the sound of his name, who gives our prayers power. It's Jesus himself. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. And I guess the main message that I see through it is this. Make the most of every opportunity. That's what Peter did. He made the most of the opportunity Ephesians 5.16 says, And pray for us that the God may open doors for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of God for which I am in chains. Do you know how to share the gospel? Are you fervently praying for opportunities and asking God to give you spiritual eyes and ears and opportunities to share the hope of Jesus Christ with others? I pray that you are. That's my Admonition for you this week, my exhortation take time to pray. Pray for opportunities that they might become available. And when they do, pray that you would have spiritual eyes to be able to see, not only see your audience, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading, and be bold to share Christ. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I really like Acts 4.29. And we're coming up to this. We're uh, we're almost to Acts chapter 4. In fact, we're just going to start it um, next week. But 4.29 says, Now consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. That's our prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the examples of Peter and John and how... The Holy Spirit worked through them. You see that Peter and John are different when they were called from their fishing nets to go and follow you. But you can see how the power of the Spirit just worked in them and how they became bold for Christ. Help us to be bold in our faith. Lord, help us not to be ashamed. Help us to speak the word with truth. Lord, help us to continually seek you, to go deeper with you, not to be satisfied with just living a life on the surface. Help us to just get to know you better and better. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of just knowing who you are and growing deeper with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.